Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been two weeks. How have you been? I've been good, Josh. It's springtime. Uh, the weather's getting better in the Northeast. Kids are getting outside. I'm happy. Uh, it's all good. Nice. Glad to hear that. I actually uh, got my first dose of the vaccine last night. Uh, Arizona. Thank you. Arizona just opened it up to everybody above the age of 16. So I, you know, first day I wanted to go down there and get it. I'm, I've been itching for this for a while now. Um, and it was, it was a mess. <laughs> I, I think it took me three or four hours to actually get my shot and get out of there. I didn't get back home until two in the morning. <laughs> it was a fun night. What can I say? <laughs> Does your arm hurt? It did. It's actually a lot better now that, now that it's been uh, 18 hours or so. So it, okay. it, it was it was a little nasty at first, just just the soreness, just the same kind of thing you get from a flu shot. So yeah, yeah. listeners, go get vaccinated when you can. Don't be afraid. It's 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 nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's good. All right. So we have plenty to hit on today. Obviously, not the most active couple of weeks in terms of trade specifically. In fact, I think we only have one to talk about, but plenty of other news. We've got some extensions. We've got some other transactions. We've got some injuries that will, we're not going to go too in depth on any of them because that's not necessarily the scope of this podcast, but some of them do have an impact on the trade market. So we will touch on those. And then we're going to talk about the Rockies because it seems like these last couple weeks, uh, some of the best in the business have taken their time to uh, analyze what exactly the Rockies are doing wrong. So <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that. So let's just let's just jump ahead into this. I kind of want to start with something that really doesn't get covered too much elsewhere because in general, yeah, it doesn't matter that much. And that's players potentially getting fourth options. So there were a handful of players, it was a pretty long list of them actually, um, where it was unsure, it was uncertain heading into the season whether they had an option remaining or not. And there's always some of those, but it was especially true this offseason and heading into this spring because of the nature of last season with how weird service time was treated in that shortened 2020 season. And so you have all these guys where the team doesn't even know and the team is still waiting on MLB to tell them whether this player has another option remaining or not. And that obviously has pretty significant roster implications. And it also has pretty notable trade value implications, considering how much of a roster risk a player that's out of options is compared to one who isn't. So we got some clarity on a handful of these guys the last few days. And this is, these are, again, these aren't necessarily superstars, but they're, at least somewhat notable names here, and this could have an impact on roster construction. So, uh, first of all, I don't I don't know if we want to go too deep into any of these, or if I should just kind of run down the list. I'll just run down the list here, and you can tell me what stands out to you, John. Yeah, so, sure. Eric Fetty does not have a fourth option. Lewis Thorpe does. Aristides Aquino does not. Justin Williams does. Jaime Barilla, Dylan Peters do. And so does Adbert Alzale. So are any of those really standing out to you? Yeah. So here's the thing. So in our model, you know, we, we factor in option status, particularly if they're out of options. That means they have less trade value because it gives the front office less flexibility. They either make mm-hmm. the roster or they have to be DFA'd. So they're generally lower in value. And we talk about this in our whole about section. Um, so there's a difference between like zero options and one option, as you're talking about in these cases. When you have one option, that also is factored in because it's 
it's still kind of like close enough to mm -hmm. to give team other teams hesitation like eh, if that guy doesn't make it he's out of options next year you know so there's still a hint of uh, loss of flexibility there so it does matter um the one that sort of uh, stood out to me is this uh in this particular season is Aquino Aquino mm -hmm. um because um you know after his hot what was it 2019 uh you know he, mm -hmm. he was hitting all those home runs uh, I think it was August or September 2019 and then he kind of cooled off and hasn't done anything since or not much before or after so you know there's some interest there but he doesn't have a whole lot of trade value it really kind of uh, docked his trade value a bit um, one could see him as a potential candidate for the White Sox, as we'll talk about that in a little bit, um, or some other teams, Indians maybe, who need a, an outfielder. Um, but, you know, the Reds are forced to roster him in this case, and they've got some other options there. So I don't know if they're going to or not, um, but it does put them in a, in a bind. I will say this. Being out of options is sort of, um, like some people characterize it, is good for the player. And yes, I can see it is because it kind of forces the team's hand and they may be more likely to stick on that team's roster. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it makes them, because it reduces their trade value, it, it they tend to be sort of on the waiver wire a lot because like mm -hmm. teams don't generally want an out-of-options player as much as a guy who is optionable because they value flexibility. So so the the bad part of the trade uh, the, of, of this is they get bounced around from team to team a lot. And so um, that's not necessarily good for the player either. Um, so it's not like as if, you know, being out of options is good. It's not necessarily good. It's also sort of a, an indicator that, you know, you're sort of like at the end of your rope in terms of the way the system is set up. You're supposed to sort of have established yourself by this point. And guys who haven't established themselves are still on the bubble, like Aquino and others, Fetty. You know, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really make or break time. You know, and whether they're, they're going to be in the waiver wire quite a bit, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, the the numbers there on Aquino, he slugged 767 in the month of August with 14 bombs, which is ridiculous. And then yeah. since then, he has slugged 362, which is the other kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, it seems like at least he'll have a spot on the roster to start the season. Uh, Shogo Akiyama is injured and he'll be out for at least opening day probably a week or two after that doesn't seem like it's going to be too long term of an injury though um so the clock is certainly ticking on Aquino. that might those first couple of weeks might give him 10 or 12 plate appearances as a pinch hitter just kind of audition for a role with another team in a trade um yeah. and i'm not necessarily too in tune on how how Aquino is hitting this spring so maybe he has already started that audition um but yeah, he's a really interesting one where it, when you see a player hit like that for a month, granted, you know he's not going to do that forever and anybody can have a hot month, but it does tell you a little bit of something. There's something that could be there. The chances that he gets to it over an extended period of time, just given what we've seen from him since then, very unlikely. But yep. you can't fully bet against a guy like that. So there's going to be teams that are interested, even if he, he does definitely have a lower trade value. Uh, than he once did uh, but there he won't go I don't think he slips through waivers if they do have to DFA him um, two other names actually on the Reds that I missed there are CNL Perez and Jose De Leon who both do have fourth options uh, for De Leon that's really interesting former top prospect there uh, he really just hasn't gotten it going he's bounced around for a few uh, through a few teams and so uh, maybe maybe he's got another chance if he can go down to the minors and figure something out uh, but yeah. Again, none of these names are really knocking your socks off here. I mean, yeah, uh, Justin Williams is 
also has a decent uh i think if, if not for this fourth option he would have had a decent chance to make the roster he still could uh with harrison bader's injury to start the season but he now it's it's much more flexible with him they don't have to make that tough decision on him yet and then the angels you know that they're going to be shuffling around their rotation a lot this season just to accommodate for Shohei Otani and some of the other some of the other pitchers in there that might be less reliable. So having options on Jaime Berea and Dylan Peters, that's pretty important for them in terms of their flexibility. In it. And it maybe gives them the opportunity if Reed Detmers is really flying through the minors in July and everyone else in the rotation is healthy, they can say, okay, we can just send Berea down or whatever and make that aggressive move to add a guy like Detmers. So that's pretty huge for them organizationally. Um, Adbert Alzale is an interesting one because he was really looking like a candidate to make that Cubs rotation. Uh, he still could, obviously, but now with a fourth option, less incentive to kind of force him onto the roster there. They can take their time with him. <clears throat> yeah, and that's a good point. It does tend to put the uh, team in a spot where they do kind of push them onto the field and say, okay, you better, you better perform or else, yeah. you know, cause you know, even if they're not quite ready, you know, um, so it's just kind of quirk of the industry. I wanted to make two quick points also circling back to Aquino. Um, first of all, that 2019 was kind of the year of the, of the Super Bowl. you know, mm-hmm. like the, that ball was flying over the fence for everybody uh, that year. Uh, and secondly, you know, history is littered with Shane Spencer's and others who got hot for a month and people thought they yeah. were the second coming and then they disappeared forever once pitchers figured out, oh, I shouldn't probably throw them a fastball down the middle anymore. So then they couldn't hit the slider <laughs> or whatever. So, you know, it, the book gets out on them pretty quickly and then, you know, they're toast. That happens a lot. <clears throat> exactly. All right. So that's <laughs> that's that for the fourth options. We'll probably learn some more in the coming weeks about that. And uh, and we'll see some of the fallout from that as far as players either getting optioned or designated for assignment. So let's move on to something a little bit more traditionally interesting <laughs> to people other than the two of us. <laughs> and that's these two significant extensions we've had these last couple of weeks. It's been a slow spring for extensions. I think that kind of speaks to, and maybe we can get into this a little later, I think that kind of speaks to the tensions between the players and the owners as far in the the league as far as uh, the upcoming CBA negotiations after the year. I think players, you know, they're kind of anticipating a potential strike. They're anticipating really tense negotiations there, and maybe they're holding out and seeing if if the uh, needle tips in their favor once those negotiations are finished. But we do have a couple to talk about here. Let's start with Lance McCullers Jr. and the Astros. And so McCullers has had a pretty interesting career where he's kind of shown upside and he's shown talent and he's also missed significant time with injury. Uh, But he's really the most, (laughs) in a weird way, he's one of the more reliable arms the uh, Astros have left, considering Zach Ranke's age, considering... Jake Odorizzi's struggles last year, considering the injury to Framber Valdez, and then just some of the question marks with the younger arms in that rotation. So he's really, he's kind of the guy that they are expecting to kind of headline this rotation going forward. And so they they committed to him. They hand him a five-year extension, $85 million, uh, limited no trade clause in there. Uh, he's only 27 this season. So that, that five-year deal is only taking him through his age 32 season, I believe. And so... It's not an egregious dollar amount, but it did immediately strike me as, whoa, really? Like, I guess I've never thought that highly of McCullers, but 
you take a look at our values and clearly our model very strongly disagrees with me. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, he's only 27 this year. So he's mm -hmm. really in his prime. It's not like he's 31, right? We're, you know, so you're still getting his prime years. He's a two-ish, you know, at his best, maybe three-war pitcher. Um, you know, and he's also coming off uh, the Tommy, he's a year or two now beyond his Tommy John. Mm -hmm. And that's generally when, you know, that second year is when they sort of perk back up again and become like at their best. That third year, even better. You think of Lance Lynn and Zach Wheeler and how good they were their second and third year after Tommy John. So, um, you know, he fits that profile well. Um, so our model has his fair value there at 91.5 um, and he got 85. And keep in mind, they would have had to QO him uh, they, he would have been a candidate for a QO and get a draft pick if he hadn't extended. And so they kind of forfeited that draft pick, which is right around $6 million. So we had basically the extension valued on its own at around 85 which is exactly what he, he signed for. So the way it works out is there's a little bit of surplus in the front end and a little bit of negativity in the back end, so it kind of cancels each other out. So, you know, it's um, like, in, for example, in um, keep in mind, this this contract extension starts next year, 2022. Mm -hmm. He was making six and a half this year, and, but they threw in a three and a half million signing bonus for this year. So, so next year we our model says he's worth twenty one point three. He's getting fifteen. Twenty one point nine. He's getting fifteen, and then he kind of starts to regress as he gets into his thirties. You know, he's worth eighteen and then fourteen and then thirteen. You know, whereas he's getting seventeen. 17. So, so in other words, there's surplus in the front, a little bit of negativity in the back, and it cancels each other out. And it's fair. So, which is how most of these contracts go. Yeah. So, uh, I you know, and also I think from a a front office point of view, you know, I think Verlander is probably done. Granke's in his last year. He's 37. You know, they needed a, a solid guy they could count on for their next few years. And keep in mind, Bregman's under under contract for a few more years. Altuve's under contract for a few more years. So it's like, okay, let's see if we can keep this going with one, at least one pitcher, you know, is going to be mm -hmm. around for a couple of years. So I, I see it make, making sense from that point of view as well. Yeah, Houston's really trying to thread this needle the next couple seasons coming up. Uh, they've also been talking extensions with Carlos Correa, but just by the numbers that they've kind of thrown out there, it seems like they're pretty far apart. Uh, I believe there was something reported along the lines of six years 120 or something like that, which seems just <laughs> egregiously low for yeah. a player as young and with the kind of upside that Correa has. Admittedly, yeah. he's having back issues, and you don't want to see that from a guy in his mid-20s. But... <laughs> Yeah. They're gonna. It seems pretty likely that they'll lose him, and Altuve isn't getting any younger. Brantley isn't getting younger. Bregman isn't getting younger. Uh, so they're they still have this talent. They still are contending, and they will be contending next season and probably the one after that. And they have some interesting young talent too. When you look at Jordan Alvarez is coming back, mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of things to like about Jose Arquiti and Christian Javier. So they are. Yes, Kyle Tucker. How could I forget him? Yeah. He's he's probably their best young player right now yeah. all around. So they still have talent there, and it's a team that hasn't been afraid to spend and has some of that money coming off the books with Correa. So I, I understand it from their standpoint. Um, I, I think... I think Lance McCullers, you just see the number 85 million and you put it up to his, his raw stats and you say, eh, I don't know about that. But I agree, and I, and I think the... Uh, the Tommy John argument's a really strong one that you know you can expect kind of another tick up from maybe his 2020 performance now that he's another season removed from that injury and from that recovery period. Yeah. Yep. That's what the history shows. <clears throat> so now let's head to the other big extension, which 
our model did not quite agree as strongly with, and that's Salvador Perez. And so we talked about this extensively the last few episodes of what are the Royals doing and are they trading these guys? Should they trade these guys? And Perez is one of those names that I think we both kind of agreed like, yeah, he's going to be a Royal for life. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. maybe there are plenty of times within his initial contract that it made perfect sense to trade him. And they could have gotten a lot back for him considering just the state of the catching, (laughs) the catching market in baseball, the last handful of years. Uh, But they stuck with him. It seems like they're, if they're not necessarily trying to make the playoffs in 2021, they're at least trying to put together a competitive and fun team. And they continue to do that by extending Perez through the 2026 season. Uh, he'll be owning a boat, uh, earning a boatload of money. Uh, it'll max out at 93 and a half million over five years, otherwise 82 million over four, which is certainly more than you would expect for an aging catcher that, you know, is allergic to walks and can't <laughs> physically can't post an on-base percentage over 300 um, without a 400 BABIP to go with it. So yeah. the values, not it's not egregious. Uh, we have them at negative 9.8 on the site. Um, it, it's 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 not horrible, it, and yeah, it's okay. and it's the kind of overpay that you see a lot with these kind of franchise icon type guys where. Yeah, we'll give you a few bucks extra to kind of keep you with the team that he's been with the Royals since he was a 15 or 16 year old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, and we talked about this, I think, on our, our last episode when we talked about why wasn't he traded, because he is like the face of the franchise in a way. He's their only mm-hmm. link back to their last World Series championship. Um, and, you know, arguably he was underpaid. And I've seen articles make that point, like he was severely underpaid. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of doing the right thing by, in effect, overpaying him to kind of make up for that now. Um, I think there's another sort of consideration here, which is the Royals kind of march their own drummer. Like, mm-hmm. we look at things from a purely efficiency point of view which is because most front offices do and we're looking at it mostly from their value on the field right okay he's producing 20 million of value and he's getting paid 20 million is there for zero surplus we're looking at it just from that lens right Mm -hmm. but the royals look at it also from a sort of a character point of view clubhouse leadership fan favorite point of view you know they really are loyal to their their guys and and so i think they're sort of factoring that in here and i can respect that um i appreciate that they do that I'm sure their fan base does as well. I mean, so purely on the numbers, yes, it's going negative. And we're being generous here with the minus nine. I think it could be worse than that as he gets deeper into his 30s and he's making 20, mm-hmm. 22 million a year. Because our numbers, you know, I'm just looking at the calculations here. He's worth, you know, he's got a little surface this year because he's still only making 14.2. But next year, when that new extension kicks in, is when it's, it's about fair next year. But then, he, you know, the following year, he's making 20 and, you know, his, his salary is going up, but he's getting older and his productivity is likely to go down if history is any guide. So he's worth 17, 14, 11, 10, and he's getting 18, 20, 20, 22, you know, so you can see the gap widening. Um, but again, they're paying for the leadership. And I, I imagine they're also thinking about, you know, they've got young pitchers coming up, you know, Daniel Lynch and Brady Singer and Jackson Cower, and these guys need sort of a mature sort of guidance hand behind the plate, you know, much like Molina has provided for the Cardinals. So, you know, he's their guy. He's their captain guy who's mm-hmm. going to help that young pitching staff. So I can see it from all those points of view. Yeah, Yadier Molina is the obvious comparison here. And I think, uh, let me express the uh, the disclaimer that I'm I'm no Sal Perez fan. I'm no Yadier Molina fan. I'm, I'm pretty neutral on both of these guys. 
Um, and I, but I think there's a pretty decent argument to be made that publicly available metrics don't and never really will account for catchers in their entirety and the kind of the intangibles that they, they can bring to a pitching staff. And I think if you were going to point to two guys in the league that that would apply to, it's Yadier Molina and Salvador Perez. So there's there's an argument to be made there that maybe in some way that we can't see in the framing numbers or the blocking numbers that he makes Brad Keller a better pitcher mm-hmm. and that there's value in that and that he's going to help this next young wave of Chris Bubich and uh, Daniel Lynch and Asa Lacey, that he's going to help the next wave of KC pitchers really develop into their own. And I think that's, you can make that argument and I can't, I can't say anything to it. I can't disprove it. And I'll just have to say, yeah, that's, that's fine. I will say that (laughs) this is a guy who's been worked to the ground almost. He's since from 2013 to 2018, he started at least a hundred or not started. He played in at least 129 games each season, which is a pretty significant and consistent workload for a catcher. And then he missed the entirety of the 2019 season uh, with Tommy John surgery and then 37 games in 2020. And so, I, I definitely have questions about how his knees are going to hold up going into his age 34, 35, 36 seasons. And I have questions about how his bat's going to hold up considering he's he's been an above average bat in exactly two of the last six seasons. So he's not necessarily that type that you can move to DH. If anything, he's maybe a backup catcher or some, some sort of a bench piece like that. And, and paying $20 million for that isn't going to be... It might hurt Kansas City in the long run um, when they get into those later seasons of that contract. Uh, but yeah. I understand it. I'm uh, I'm sure Kansas City fans are thrilled with this, and by all means, they should be. He he's he's their guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. One, one more... quick. Oh, go 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 for it. Oh, sorry. Uh, two more points, uh, real quick. Um, catcher shelf life not good <laughs> most <Yes>. catchers really <laughs> fall off the map look at jonathan luke roy for example t- today he's there's shadows of their former selves and they're you know if they bounce around at all it's on the waiver wire or the minor league signing you know once they get mm-hmm. deeper into their 30s so that is the typical sort of progression they tend to peak in their late 20s maybe around 30 and then they sort of you know fall off it's a pretty steep cliff mm-hmm. uh there are some exceptions molina is an exception maybe perez will be another exception so that's point number one point number two is as i met on, mentioned earlier when we were talking about the royals john sherman their new owner seems to want to spend you know mm-hmm. he wants to like he has no problem paying for guys and, it, and i think there's some influence of him here as well like especially if he's a fan favorite and he likes the guy so you know the owner does what the owner does you gotta you're okay <laughs> it's your team so okay that's you know can't argue with that at a certain point sorry you're gonna make yeah. another point yeah. oh this this point <laughs> is not even relevant in the slightest bit it is not related to salvador perez at all but fan graphs uh played with their dashboards a little bit on the sites and mm-hmm. Yes, very good thing. They they are incorporating expected weighted on base average. Excellent. It, it, it's always been annoying having to bounce back and forth between Fangraphs and Baseball Savant. This, I, I I didn't even think until just this second of how much easier this is going to make our lives, John. God yes. bless you, Fangraphs. <laughs> but yes, although it's only for hitters. I can't find it for pitchers. Yeah. I don't know what's up with that. I think you might be able to make a custom dashboard on that. Um, okay. But we'll have to look into that. But the one thing that is throwing me off is now they incorporate an age column near the beginning of each uh, of the player's entry. 
And so this is something that Baseball Reference has done for a while, and I'm used to it there. But here I'm not. And so I'm looking at this column, and I'm trying to see the first number I'm used to seeing here is how many <laughs> games the guy played in. Yep. And I yep. see the number 30, and I'm thinking, <laughs> weird, why did he only play in 30 games? And he didn't. He played exactly. in 37, which is to the right of that number. He's just He was 30 years old in 2020, so that's going to take some getting used to. But thank you thank very you for- much, Fangraphs. We this ex-WOBA thing is going to be a lifesaver. Yeah, it, it makes our lives easier because we're still doing a lot of this by hand, and that's one of the stats we look at. It's absolutely true. But you're absolutely right. I I, I was wondering why I was getting thrown by that, too, and you nailed it. <laughs> you're like, oh, I kept expecting the G, the games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> All righty, let's head into some significantly less exciting transactions. Let's talk about <laughs> Michael Franco. He actually, he hung around the free agent market a little bit longer than I expected him to. He wasn't bad in 2020, if I'm remembering correctly. I'm pulling up his stats right now. Yeah, he had a 109 OPS plus. He was mm-hmm. he was fairly solid. He's never been a gold glove defender or anything, but he played in all 60 games. He was pretty, he was pretty decent for the Royals, and I was pretty surprised. I think they had a team option on him that they declined. Uh, but now he heads to Baltimore, which Lord knows they could use any talent they can they can find, and, and he'll be an upgrade over Rio Ruiz for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the kind of guy he's always kind of had that pedigree. Um, it, it's obviously faded since <laughs> since his first few seasons in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a guy that you know he was I think he was a former top prospect. He had that kind of uh, that kind of allure to him, and he's still got a little bit of it. He's still not 30 yet. And so, I don't know, maybe this is the kind of guy where he gets a gets a hot start and they can get a little bit of something for him at the deadline. It is just a one-year deal, and he is Michael Franco, so nobody's going to be selling the farm for him. But the, it's, a, it's another one of those no-risk moves by the Orioles. Oh, I think it's definitely a value move. And, mm-hmm. you know, you always see a few of these guys get picked up at the end of the off season, right? Like, why is he still on the market? Yeah, mm. I mean, on because on paper, definitely he has more value. Um, like, and the re well, let me just say the reason why Kansas City non tendered him is because I think his salary was getting up there. It was going to be too higher than what his value was. Um, so, you know, he's worth more than a million, or not even a million. I think he's getting a little slightly less than that, right? Eight hundred thousand, and then I mean, two hundred thousand in incentives. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you assume those incentives are easily makeable, so call it a million, that's still. I mean, he's he's worth four ish, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's that's totally a value play with a potential flip at the deadline play. Somebody's going to need a third baseman at some point. So um, I I think it makes all the sense in the world. It's interesting, too, that it was the Orioles because they were penny pinching, trying to like scrimp on, you know, trying to get some of their pre-arb guys to accept or arb guys to accept even less. So um, the fact that they but even they can't turn to turn down a bargain this good. Right. So Mm -hmm. at this point in the offseason. So uh, good for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to find. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, so he was projected in arbitrage. I-, I-, I was mistaken. I thought he had a club option uh, with the Royals. It looks like it was just he signed a one-year deal with them and then had an additional year of arbitration, uh, mm-hmm. which would have projected him for somewhere between four and a half and eight million. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I-, I was under the impression he had a club option for somewhere in the four million range, but no. Yeah. That yeah. was not the case. <laughs> so that's a pure case of the Royals being rational and saying, yeah, he's not worth that. And the Orioles picking, scooping him up, saying, "Well, he's, he's worth more than eight hundred thousand, so mm-hmm. it's a bargain." Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a case of the Royals being pretty rational, and seemingly the rest of the market 
not necessarily being rational. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's just a case of, you know, there's only so many teams that need a third baseman and a lot of them are shooting higher than a Michael Franco. And even the ones that weren't, you look at a team like the Braves, uh, they'd rather get a left-handed compliment like they got in Jake Lamb, who can also play some first base and be a lefty bench bat for them as their kind of Austin Riley insurance. So yeah. Franco, not necessarily a fit there and not a whole lot of other teams that could have used him. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this one broke really as we were recording the last episode and we figured it wasn't uh, necessarily important enough to turn the uh, record button back on and <laughs> talk about, but the Pirates signed Trevor Cahill. Um, so now he, he joins Tyler Anderson as their huge offseason additions to that rotation. Uh, he will be he will be important for them as we're going to talk about in just a second here. Um, they they did just lose Stephen Brault to an injury that that should cost him about a month uh, at least, and so they're going to need some innings eaten. And Trevor Cahill, hey, he's been hopping around the last few years because he can eat those innings and he's not too shabby at it. Um, he was actually pretty okay with the Giants last year. Um, uh, the his peripherals were not quite as good as his 3.24 ERA, but you know that's that's a serviceable arm, and teams are going to want depth arms at the deadline, and so maybe they get some sort of little uh, lottery ticket for him at the deadline. Yeah, because he's worth yeah, it's another sort of bargain, you know, signing, and no surprise the Pirates and the, we just talked about the Orioles doing it. Um, they're going to flip him at the deadline if he's worth anything at all. We think there's a little bit of surplus here. Uh, we have his field value at 2.3 and his salary at 1.5. So a little bit of surplus there, 0.8. I mean, I think one of my pet theories is that, you know, he's always been kind of a sinker baller, which has kind of been out of favor the last few years. Um, mm-hmm. But it does tend to get, you know, ground balls. And because you're not, like, throwing six or seven pitches per at bat, you know, because you're not going for the strikeout, you're going for the ground ball, it means he throws less pitches, right? Which means he can last six innings, you know, which means he's an innings eater. So, like, it saves your bullpen. So, like, he's, he's the type of guy that, you know, is quietly effective but doesn't get the credit for it because his style is out of favor. Brett Anderson is another one of those. Mm-hmm. So, and yet they keep, keep you know, getting picked up because, you know, the smart team will say, yeah, okay, he's a fifth starter, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's He's got something there. He's going to eat some innings. And at yeah. this point in the Pirates' rebuild, that's – what they need it doesn't matter if those innings come with a 350 era or a 550 era they're just innings (laughs) they're innings for uh, cabrian hayes and some of their other players to develop behind him yeah i mean they traded musgrove and tyone so they got to have somebody there as well it's a warm body yeah yeah and most of their pitching talent is another year or two away so right right all right and then the biggest blockbuster of them all Infielder Mike Freeman traded to the Reds from Cleveland in exchange for cash. <laughs> yep. uh, he's 33. If I had, if you had asked me, I would have told you he was like 28, but I guess he's 33. Uh, I, I, I guess he's gotten 256 plate appearances over the last two years with Cleveland. I, I didn't know that happened either. <laughs> um, and uh, he... Thank God he's not in Cleveland anymore because I was very often mixing him up with uh, one of their top prospects, Tyler yeah, Freeman. Yeah, <laughs> right. Everyone was, right? But no, he's just, he's their, you know, he's their Charlie Colberson, or at least was for a while, yep. you know. The late inning replacement, you know, last guy on the bench. Uh, but hey, look, this is my opportunity to plug that we also fixed our, made a fix to our cash component of our trade mm-hmm. simulator. We can now handle decimals. It was one of these sort of 
you know, I know it's a minor point and no one cares, but I do. <laughs> there's a guy who was traded 0.1 for cash and we could actually plug it in at 0.1. That's probably about what it was so yeah. as, as opposed to a zero or a one, which was a whole number, which could have been a little bit off. So anyway, I'm happy about that. And I've seen a few users actually plugging in decimal. So, um, so that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. And I, I don't think he's going to be the red starting shortstop, no. but would you be too surprised given the state of the competition ahead of him? <laughs> no, well, except that I, he's not a starter. You know? yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, is anybody, are any of the shortstops that the Reds are trying to use at shortstop, other than Eugenio Suarez, if they decide to go that way, are no. any of those other guys starters? Is Kyle no. Holder a starter? No. Is Jose no. Garcia a starter? Not yet. Maybe in a couple yeah. of years he will be, but no, no, that's the problem. Yeah. And they didn't have the money to go out and get a real one. Or didn't want to trade the prospects to get a real one, you know. So they weren't gonna, you know, trade for Story. So, um, so this is where they're at. They're moving Suarez over and seeing if, seeing if it sticks. It's a little bit of a disappointing situation. I feel like Story makes them, uh, maybe not the the runaway favorite in that division, but it puts them up with the Cardinals and the Brewers right now. And because they got a they got a talented team. Outside of shortstop, I mean, they got some interesting pieces there. They got Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, Jesse Winker, uh, Nick Castellanos, a bounce-back candidate. They they got some talent there. If only they, you know, had had the money and the capability to finish the job instead of cutting players like Rysel Iglesias this this past off season. Yeah, but you know that NL Central is totally up for grabs. So who knows? Yeah, they they still have a chance as is. Yeah. Alrighty, that's it for the transaction news. Now, we have a ton of players who got injured these last two weeks. It was really disappointing, especially this last week. It seemed like guys were just dropping like flies. There were a couple days where it was one after the other after the other. You just get the get all the tweets, and it's like, oh, goodness, this this just sucks. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to I'm just gonna run through the names, some of the more notable guys, and I think there's a few that we'll identify as kind of relevant as far as, um, as, far as our trade discussions here, so... Nick Anderson with the Rays, Kirby Yates is going to miss the whole season. Uh, we, we discussed him and how his contract worked and how um, it, I believe it was five and a half and then it could go up to eight and a half with incentives. And we said, oh, those are pretty easily achievable incentives. It's just if he's if he's healthy, he'll get eight and a half. If he's not healthy, it's only a five and a half gamble. And unfortunately, that's what happened. He's getting mm. he's having Tommy John. And so he'll just be getting that five and a half. Uh, Stephen Brault, as I mentioned earlier, Harrison Bader, as I mentioned earlier. Kyle Freeland having some shoulder issues. Zach Gallen, who yeah. we we all have seen the discourse about that, about how he suffered a hairline fracture, I think it was, uh, while he was uh, warming up batting practice, and so that brought all the uh, DH discussions back up to the back up to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jose Jose Leclerc, I believe that's some elbow soreness. Uh, Tyler Clippard, Brendan Rogers, Carlos Carrasco, hamstring strain. Nate Pearson, his groin's acting up again. Shogo Akiyama, I mentioned earlier. Sonny Gray, unlikely to make the opening day roster uh, because of his injury. Mike Fires, hip and back issues. He looks like he's recovering from those uh, probably a few more weeks out. And George Springer, I believe his was an <coughs> oblique strain. So, oh, and, and additionally, I had him separately here because I think we'll want to talk about him, is Eloy Jimenez, who will be missing five or six months, essentially... The majority of the season might have one of those, you know, Kyle Schwarber type comebacks in October, uh, but he'll be missing a whole lot of time with a pectoral strain, I believe it was, or tear, yeah, um, that he that he suffered trying to make a 
leaping catch. And, and I'm realizing now, and this is dumb and anecdotal and doesn't really matter, that like a handful of these guys suffered these injuries against the A's <laughs> in spring, which is just a weird little coincidence. Uh, yeah. Eloy's jump over the fence was against the A's trying to rob a Sean Murphy home run. Kyle Freeland left his start against the A's with that shoulder soreness, and Zach Gallen was scratched from that start against the A's. So um, maybe <laughs> maybe watch out. <laughs> they, they got some uh, black magic going on in, in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, uh, wasn't but... it a couple of spring, spring trainings ago that uh, Justin Turner was hit on the hand? It, it yeah, Kendall good. Graveman. Yep. Yeah, right. So there's uh, something about the A's in spring training. Like, don't go there, other teams. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, well, jokes aside, it's a bummer that all these guys are hurt, especially some of these guys are really talented. And, and some of these guys have a pretty significant impact on the trade market. I, I think the one I want to start with is Eloy Jimenez. That's the biggest news that just broke today. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think he ties pretty nicely into a couple of these top trade candidates when you're talking about, as we mentioned earlier, our studies Aquino, as well as Mike Talkman with the Yankees, who's getting a little bit of buzz because they have a pretty crowded outfield picture and it's it's not exactly clear how he fits into it. Yeah, when we're getting a lot of suggestions on our trade boards about Talkman to the White Sox, um, Aquino asked on our Twitter account it was a potential fit for the White Sox. So, yeah, I mean, so here's the thing. It, it first of all, it's terrible that all these guys are getting injured. One wonders if it's a, it's a symptom of the shortened, weird COVID season last year, and guys were sort of out of sync, and now they're getting, mm-hmm. you know, especially on the pitchers. Uh, it could be. Um, um, I don't want to theorize, but but focusing on our sweet spot here, which is our trade value site, um, it does create an opportunity for these teams who need to replace them, right? So you start to look mm-hmm. at the trade potential, you know, especially since a most of the free free agent market has been picked over, like, you know, for the White Sox, maybe a Josh Reddick who's sitting out there, you know, but they, it's, but generally speaking, your options at this point in the offseason on the free agent market are not good, <laughs> you know, they're Weeg, no, he's under investigation. Reddick, I don't know, he's probably done. You know, like there's not that many options. Um, then, you know, you're looking at also guys who may have been sort of, you know, not great options either, but they were on other teams, you know, as non-roster invites, minor league deals. Mm-hmm. Those are generally not the pick of the litter either at this point. So you're not going to get, you know, a star unless, you know, at this point, like a major blockbuster trade is also unusual. So therefore, you're looking at the Aquinos and the Talkmans for, you know, replacement for Jimenez. I will say also, it's it's a testament to teams who plan for this ahead of time. Like the Dodgers are known for planning for depth on top of depth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Yankees in general have in the past been pretty good about this as well. It's another reason why they don't want to trade Talkman because they understand that this, you know, stuff happens. Um, so, so you know, but the White Sox I've I've seen getting criticized lately because they didn't have the depth behind their starting nine and now they're suffering for it if you look at roster resource in the white Sox, it's ugly yeah <laughs> they got some holes there <laughs> so um that's a team that's already counting on andrew vaughn to get the majority of it bats like shifted uh split between first base and designated hitter and he has no major league experience i mean he's, yeah. he's an immense talent he's he's impressive but if that falls flat, then that's kind of that's two holes in the lineup. And if you're not as high on Adam Eaton as they seem to be, then that's three holes in the lineup. And suddenly it's getting a little bit shaky out in Chicago. And you look at the Twins, who are looking pretty good and pretty healthy, and it's it's a bit of a concern. 
Yeah, I mean, let's look at roster resource. They've got, you know, Lurie Garcia now marked in as their left fielder. and Ugh. Yeah. Jonathan Adam Engel backing him up, I'm guessing? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, he's hurt as well, right? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> so they've got, like, Nick Williams, who's another, you know, guy out of options in NRI. You've got Jonathan Lucroy, who's projected to be their backup catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for, for a contending team. They've got to do something about this. Yeah, it's a team that certainly... Uh, uh, it's it's hard to be disappointed when your team brings in Lance Lynn and uh, Liam Hendricks in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think White Sox fans are kind of disappointed. I think they wanted a Springer type. I think they wanted you know to maybe even be talking about Trevor Bauer or at least some other significant rotation addition, uh, not just bringing back Carlos Rodon. And, and when you factor in some of the... Uh, some of the question marks about Tony Larusa. I, I know spring has gone well with him and all the players are saying all the right things about how much they love him and how much they're learning from him. Uh, but that left a weird taste in everybody's mouth. And then when you, we got our first really bad quote from, from the spring from Tony Larusa about a week ago when he said he was going to be batting Adam Eaton in the leadoff spot or batting him second. I think, I think he said one of those two spots and it's like our, are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah, when you got Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal and at the time Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, when you got all this talent, Yohan Moncada, are you sure you want Adam Eaton getting more at bats than those guys? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and, it's know, an off season that could have been so exciting for the White Sox, and they sh- they should be in that same conversation as the San Diego Padres. They have just as exciting and young of a team, really, uh, and they just kind of didn't they didn't make the moves that the Padres did and and the Padres kind of left them in the dust as far as that you know exciting up and coming team goes yeah well the Padres to be fair had a lot more trade capital to work with they had such a great farm they and they had to because that was burning a hole in their wallet in their pocket so they had to trade a whole bunch of farms but they were smart I'll give Perler credit again for getting you know Kim when he didn't need to and you know and like well where are they going to play him well now you can see why they want depth this is again the Dodgers model the White Sox didn't do this and now they're paying the price now looking at the White Sox farm it's also you know it's not the Padres farm right once you get past Andrew Vaughn maybe you can say you know, Garrett Crochet is still a, a hot prospect, but after that, there's not much there, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not a whole lot to work with. So there's not a whole lot of trade capital, and there's not a whole lot in terms of replacements. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe you look at like, uh, you know, your mean Mercedes who's a total DH type, but he can hit, but he can't play the field. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know, is that an option? Like, Micker Adolfo, you know, these are guys that are just sort of sticking around, like look like quad A guys, like maybe fill a spot, but. Your options are not great, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, I think I think some sort of move there is almost certain. Uh, yeah. they, I, I believe do they are they the team that has uh, Billy Hamilton in yes. on the minor league deal as well? They yeah, are. Uh, that's not exactly comforting. <laughs> um, that's no. not. Uh, I can imagine, you know, in the midst of June when they're both hitting 180. Tony Larusa continuing to lead off Billy Hamilton with Adam Eaton behind him, and bumping guy like Luis Robert down to seventh or eighth. I could see that happening 100%. And who oh boy would that not be pretty? Um, 
unless they made the uh, you know the rule changes that they're proposing to try out in the minor leagues with like the the bigger bases. Yeah. Ceiling. <laughs> and no no pickoffs anymore. In. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Plug those in, and then you know we'll see how Billy Hamilton helps. Maybe there's a future for him next year with that. Yeah. <clears throat> I I don't know. I, I'd keep a close eye on the White Sox. Maybe it is something minor, like, like grabbing one of those non-roster invites that doesn't make it with another team. Uh, maybe it is kind of a moderate trade, like Mike Talkman or Aristides Aquino, but they've got to make some sort of a move. I think they know that, too, so I'd, I'd keep a close yeah. eye on them the next couple of weeks. Totally, totally. Um, and, you know, and our trade boards, like I said, have a lot of Talkman to the White Sox proposals, so it just makes a lot of sense as well, because he's out of options. And, you know, he doesn't seem to have a fit on the Yankees because they like Jay Bruce. They signed Gardner. Where is Talkman going to play? He's mm-hmm. probably the odd man out. So this seems like a good fit if it happens. Yeah, that's a that's a scary thing with the Yankees, though. Um, and I, I think that's why they haven't traded him to this point is right now Stanton and Judge and Hicks are all healthy. But do you mm-hmm. actually trust that? And if one of those guys goes down, do you want Jay Bruce or Brett Gardner to be starting the majority of games in one of right. the corner outfield spots or DH or wherever they end up? I don't think you do. And then if, if two of them go down, then you're starting both of those guys and it's, it's really shaky. So, and they they are a team with some depth, but Talkman is a pretty significant part of that depth. And he's a guy that can kind of fake it out in center field. And that's something obviously Jay Bruce can't do. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. I, I could I could see their argument and maybe it's even more likely that the White Sox get Jay Bruce. Is that is that too far out there? It's not because if the Yankee, it's all about what the Yankees have to decide by the time this airs, yeah. you, they, that may have already happened. Um, they got to make a decision on Jay Bruce is the whole key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, moving on to a couple other names here. Sonny Gray is one to watch uh, because he has been in kind of the trade rumors all offseason. It's a recurring back issue. Back issues are always scary, especially for pitchers. Uh, It's the kind of thing that can just linger and continue to kind of take you out um, year after year after year. And so as of now, it's not looking like anything too severe. uh, And it looks like he might be back on the team as early as as early as April, Um, maybe even first or second turn through the rotation. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on there. Um, a couple other ones here. Kirby Yates we mentioned earlier with the Blue Jays. I'm not sure, and I'll, I'll lump Nick Anderson in here as well. I'm not sure there is a prime relief trade target for either of these teams. I don't think the Brewers are going to be moving Josh Hader right now. I think they've made it this far with him. They're going to take him to the deadline at least. Uh, but maybe, maybe one of those teams you know, makes that late pickup of Shane Green, who is really the, probably the most deserving player left on the free agent market, most deserving of a major league roster spot. Uh, A couple other teams have been kind of connected to him, but maybe one of those injuries opens up a spot for him. Um, Yeah, I can see the uh, Pirates chopping Richard Rodriguez, another mm -hmm. name that, you know, yeah, he, he, They've been shopping him and shopping any veteran player, so I could see him being moved to one of those teams. Yeah, but it's also worth noting that both of those clubs have some late inning depth there, so maybe it's not a hugely urgent need. Yeah. Uh, I think I think maybe the Rays have a little bit more urgency, but they're also a team that's going to throw whoever they want to out in the ninth inning with whatever lead they have, and it's going to work because they're the Rays. You know, maybe Brent Honeywell's their new closer. What do I know? And um, they just remember those two guys they picked up from the Red Sox and that weird. Yep. All of a sudden, that's starting to look a little smarter. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works with them, you know. Yep. 
We should just zip our lips every time the Rays make a move and say the Rays made a move. Moving on to the next team. They yeah, somehow they 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 looked in their crystal ball and divined that that was going to happen. So, well, I am I'm, I'm 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 joking and sort of speculating, but sort of mm. also not. <laughs> like they planned ahead. Yeah. Um. And then. I don't think the Cardinals have any actionable moves they can really make for Harrison Bader. It seems like he's only going to miss a few weeks, so they're not going to go out and trade for yeah. Kevin Kiermeyer or anything. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe something minor like uh, it wouldn't happen this early, probably, but an Albert Almora type or Juan Lagares or something along those lines, just to keep the spot warm. Because I saw a fun stat today on Twitter, I believe it was in Mike Petriello's replies that. The Cardinals' projected starting outfield has less career major league plate appearances than Adam Wainwright. <laughs> yeah, I saw and that too. That's, that's probably not good. <laughs> um, Stephen Brault, yeah. we mentioned, that's that's kind of a bummer. He's a guy who's come up in some some lower profile trade rumors, and and he it, it also looks like kind of a one month thing for him. So he should have enough time to come back and establish his value if there's no uh, if there's no significant setbacks there. And he's not a guy who would go for a ton anyway, but, you know, the Pirates are selling everything they have, so anything they can get back in return is, is important for them. Um, Jose Leclerc, kind of along the same lines as uh, as some of the other relievers we've discussed here, except the Rangers have zero delusions of contending in 2021. And so he's a guy that purely would have been a trade chip, but he's also been so rocky lately, and he just is such a volatile player uh, just by the nature, he's a low-control guy. Um, so maybe he isn't the most attractive trade piece anyway. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one I want to mention before we kind of move on is Tyler Clippard, who really seemed like more of a, of a let's let's give this guy a million dollars or whatever that contract was. It was pretty cheap. And we'll hand him the seventh, eighth inning, kind of build him up and see if we can get one of those lottery ticket type prospects for him at the deadline because the D-backs probably don't expect to contend either. Yeah. Um, and now now he, he'll be out six weeks, and so that's maybe off the table. And he's, he's not that kind of arm where you say, okay, he's going to come back and make three appearances and I'm going to be ready to give up some 17-year-old with upside for him. That's not happening. Right. <clears throat> um, you just mentioned a lot of relievers who are over 30 who are mm-hmm. starting to break down, and I'm I'm not an expert on the medicals or, or, or want to speculate on the reasons why, but I do find it a little, I mean, yes, there's always that risk, but it seems like it's happening even more so this, this particular spring training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think there's a clear connection that could be made there. And, and I think I'm with you here. I'm not trying to speculate too much. I would want the, the numbers in front of me to say, is this more injuries than we usually see in a typical spring training? I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but yeah, that would yeah. make sense if it's if some of those guys are the ones hit the hardest by this kind of wild yeah. switch from the 2020 season jump back into the 2021 season. So we'll inevitably have more injuries popping up the next handful of days, and we'll probably see a few minor trades to address them or signings or, or both um, in the next couple of days as, as spring training or excuse me as opening day is only a week away yeah also i just wanted to sneak in one point so um just so everyone's clear when injuries are announced and you know there's an estimate on how much playing time they're going to miss we update our numbers accordingly mm-hmm. so you know we we if we had if our model had expected them to you know 
uh, play for a full year and they say they're going to be out for three months, then that's like a 50% reduction in playing time and estimate. So it does impact their trade value. I just want to know each time that happens, we've already reflected that on our site pretty quick on the uptake on that. Now we're not doctors, so we don't know the severity of it. We're just going with estimates of playing time and reasonable and maybe in some cases with a little bit of a ramp up. So like, you know, you can't expect them to be just as productive the day they come back. So, you know, we factored all, all that in. <clears throat> Definitely. And so now we can we can kind of transition here by talking about one last name on this list, Brendan Rogers, who I, I don't know if there's anything actionable to say here as far as trades go, but it's kind of indicative of how the Rockies last couple of years have gone that, you know, this top prospect where they really, he was such a huge name and he's fallen so far and this is the year he was going to get kind of full time at bats and they were going to see what they had with him and now he's going to miss a month and so that's just yeah that's just how the rockies have been lately and so we have we have a trade of the week with the rockies and then we also have an additional discussion about them so let's just let's go through the trade of the week first this is from user josh l10 and it has the rockies sending uh right-handed pitcher herman marquez who has four years of team control, very affordable, uh, which gives him $67.2 million in trade value, headed to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for catching prospect Gabriel Moreno, who we have at 18.7, uh, right-handed pitching prospect Adam Kloffenstein at 4.5, third base prospect Miguel Geraldo at 8.5, and shortstop prospect Jordan Groshans at 40.1. And so this one, and hey, we can we can start using our new uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. upvote, downvote here. So the Blue Jays have eight upvotes and seven downvotes in this deal, and the Rockies have 11 upvotes and six downvotes. And I think uh, I think that makes a lot of sense here. It's it's obviously a pretty expensive package here uh, for the Blue Jays to give up. They're giving up 71.8 million in value, and that's a pretty if the rockies are going to jumpstart their rebuild here this is the way to do it this is a ton of talent coming back to yeah. them. but it's also some relatively blocked talent uh in toronto so i mean groshans he's a shortstop maybe a third baseman and they got bichette at that position long term they got biggio transitioning to third base this year they got vlad guerrero jr who might end up back at third base so maybe that's that's a position they can deal from same with geraldo Kloffenstein, he's not a huge name, um, and they, they have some pitching prospects ahead of him. And then Gabriel Moreno, that's probably their deepest position long-term is catcher, the Blue Jays, with Reese McGuire, uh, Danny Jansen, and Alejandro Kirk all ahead of Moreno. So, I mean, it, it's it's a huge price to pay for the Blue Jays, but it maybe doesn't hurt them as much as it seems like it would on the surface. And in exchange, they're getting a real ace here. And I mean, you get him out of Colorado, and I think people will really appreciate how good Herman Marquez is. And that's just an incredible arm to add to Hyunjin Ryu, who's a very different type of pitcher, but very effective in his own way. And Nate Pearson, if he ever gets healthy and kind of gets going on the mound, starts to tap into his insane potential. So I, I agree with all of our... Uh, all of our users that have upvoted this trade and think it's think it's pretty fair because yeah i, I see this a ton for both sides <clears throat> yeah um so first of all thank you josh l10 for suggesting it. he's a dodger fan and so he makes a lot of dodgers trades on our site and he's known for that but i appreciate this one because it's not a dodgers related one he's just looking at it more objectively and i think it's a fair trade as a result um i do think one thing i would have liked to see though is for the rockies to get a pitching prospect because it's always hard for them 
to mm -hmm. acquire pitching prospects and develop on their own because of Colorado. So, um, but I mean, they fill a lot of holes here, as you mentioned, with shortstop, third base, catcher, and one minor pitching prospect. So, it is a good package because they, God knows, they need <laughs> need all of that, you know, young talent. They should be rebuilding. So, um, and they should trade Marquez for a haul. And this gets them from a value perspective a little bit more than than Marquez's value. So, which is about right because I think if they did shop Marquez. They probably get a little bit of an overpay based on a bidding war, um, and I like it for the Blue Jays for the reasons you mentioned. Um, some people think um, Marquez is more of a two. I agree with you that he could be an ace outside of Colorado because when he's on, man, he's he looks almost unhittable at times, and he's the kind of guy that I think is still not in his prime yet because he's still fairly young. I think he's still only 24, 25. So you know, you you could argue he's still got his best years ahead of him. So um, it's you know he's 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 a guy <laughs> he's a guy you want in your rotation definitely and he would certainly put the blue jays i think that much closer to competing for the uh, nl uh, sorry al east with the with the yankees um so it's a good trade for both teams yeah uh, uh, to your point there about you know getting a higher talent pitcher headed back to colorado i could see a way where you kind of reshape this deal and sub in simeon woods richardson for Moreno, maybe, uh -huh. or you find a way to sub him and another piece in for Groshans. And and we, we've talked before about how Simeon Woods-Richardson is kind of this rising star in the system, and the Blue Jays probably don't want to want him going anywhere. They really love the guy. But if you're getting Herman Marquez, you'd give up Simeon Woods-Richardson there. I mean, yeah. you hope Simeon Woods-Richardson could be Herman Marquez. Yeah, especially, like I said, because Marquez is still – you know, young and in his prime, yeah. maybe even not in his prime yet, and you've got him under control for several years, which matches the years of control that you have with your other stars like Bichette and Guerrero and so on. So it makes perfect sense to, to get him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a fit here. Even if this, like, <laughs> from a positional standpoint, isn't the perfect return from the Rockies, um, there, there's a very clear fit here on both sides. And I think, obviously, I don't think we're going to see this trade happen, at least not right now. It could be something that gets discussed at the deadline maybe actually happens in the off season or maybe even another year from now because we're talking about a player as young as Herman Marquez with as much team control and as much surplus value because of that affordable contract that he's going to be in trade discussions for years to come so this isn't necessarily something I anticipate happening in the week between now and opening day but I, I like the framework here and I think if if you believe in the Rockies' uh, rational front office, which we'll we'll get into that in just a second, uh, this is something they should strongly consider. Yes, if they are rational. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <clears throat> so that's the whole key, right? Because look, everyone's laughing at the Rockies, especially after the Arenado trade. I'm not one of them because you know, as I said before, I think the Arenado trade was oddly. A rational, you know, move, but the irrational one was signing him to the contract in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just—I know I'm nitpicking which one was the, you know, which one was the dumb move. It wasn't the trade; it was the contract. Um, you know, and and also, I'm sure you're going to bring up—they've made a lot of other dumb moves <laughs> over the last few years. Yes, there's the, <laughs> even if—and uh, I agree with you here—the Nolan Arnato trade. In, in a vacuum, just looking at the value, and, and the model agrees with us, it's fine. They, they did well yeah. enough there, and, and they kind of did what they needed to do, given that he was demanding a trade out of there. But then when you kind of back up, there's more than enough to dunk on the Rockies for. So yeah. let's use that as our transition. Uh, thanks again, Josh L10. Uh, let's go use that as our transition 
we're just going to spend a few minutes here talking about the Rockies and how much of a disaster <laughs> they are. <laughs> and so coincidentally, in the last couple of weeks, um, two great pieces of content about the Rockies come out. Uh, one of them, a video from Foolish Baseball. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen that one, John. I'll, yeah, I have. Uh, I enjoyed it awesome. very much. <laughs> yes. Uh, kind of breaking down exactly all of the places that they've gone wrong. <laughs> and then a similar article uh, in mm-hmm. The Athletic from Ken Rosenthal and Nick Groke. Grokey? Groke. Yeah. Groke. Yeah. sounds better. Nick Groke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's not necessarily – the biggest takeaway that people took from this, uh, this article in The Athletic was uh, a blurb about how the Rockies responded to the pandemic and rather than laying people off, instead decided to have their front office members and baseball operations members uh, work in the visiting clubhouse as clubbies and stay up till three in the morning washing jerseys. And so that's that's a bit of a, a weird look for them. But that's not necessarily what we're here to talk about. Um, I, I think... I think there's a handful of things we can talk about here, and we, we don't necessarily have a structure for this, but uh, Jeff Breidich and Dick Monfort are really the two names. I mean, they're the two names running the Rockies, obviously, but they're, they're the two names in this article that you really get a better picture of who these guys actually are, and you really start to think, I mean, there's there's they did get some Rosenthal and and Grokey, <laughs> Rosenthal and Nick, Rosenthal and Nick <laughs> did get some uh, some kind of some opinions from both sides on both of these guys. Some guys who said that Breidich is fine. Some guys who said that they really respected Dick Monfort as an owner because he was able to keep everybody on board during the pandemic. And so this isn't just an article dunking on them, but with some of the things you see in here, it's pretty clear that. <laughs> Maybe you won't go as far as calling Breidich the worst GM in baseball, but it's fair to call him one of them. <laughs> and yeah. and Monfort, it's pretty clear he meddles in some of these operations a lot more than he needs to. So where do you want to start here? Yeah, so let's focus on our wheelhouse, which is kind of the front office aspects of this and running the team. Um, the ones that the points that kind of stand out for me is that you know Monfort is basically acting as the president and involved in the baseball sort of operations more so than a a, a typical owner would be. There's a quote <laughs> in here that says that Monfort thinks he's Theo Epstein. And I was I think just going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's spot on. Um, and so that's where you got you always have to start with the owner, right? Because they call the shots. And if mm-hmm. he's he, if he thinks he's Theo Epstein, but maybe he's not actually qualified to be the president of the baseball operations that's your problem uh you know so and Breidich just kept his job i think because he has sort of enabled that i think um mm-hmm. now there's also a point that um you know given that monfort thinks he's he's theo epstein you know he kind of makes the bigger decisions and Breidich does the smaller ones the day-to-day stuff you know the minor trades and the you know non-tenders and all the other things gms do um you know, <clears throat> so it's not like Breidich is always the one calling the shots here because Monfort is heavily involved. Uh, but I do think the other sort of money quote here is a rival executive said, I want Breidich, I want Breidich to keep his job. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Because it makes so, his own job easier. <laughs> exactly. Um, in their defense, I will say the trades that we've been tracking for them have looked fair based on our model. Uh, not only the Arenado trade, but there was a minor one earlier in the year with Jeff Hoffman that turned out exactly fair. Um, you know, in 
but but where they've really gone awry is is in their free agent settings, which have just been dreadful. And I know other people have pointed that out, but they've spent a ton of money and gotten nothing back. In fact, negative value back for that ton of money. And that's just inexcusable. I mean, I don't know why, you know, I, I guess Monford and, and Brightage are so close that, you know, that, but any other GM would have been fired for those moves just on that basis alone, I would have thought. <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to stick with Arenado for just one more second in here. Because mm-hmm. uh, in here there's there's something kind of explaining how the two of them operated for the Arenado trade. And I, I think at first glance, it's like, oh my goodness, Monfort, get out of here. But then when you think about it a little more, it makes a little bit of sense. Um, essentially, Monfort kind of handled the owner-to-owner type stuff, uh, some of the financial type stuff. He handled discussions with Arenado's agent, which... You, you see that quite frequently where the agents go to the ownership level when there's problems or when they yeah. want their... We've seen it before with Scott Boris and getting his, his players signed to these mega deals. He skips the general the rational general, general manager and goes up to ownership to get something done. Yeah, so especially with that the makes, Nationals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and so that makes some sense. And, um, and, and then that left Breidich to kind of handle the player return uh, from St. Louis in that deal, which... Again, makes sense because we're kind of operating the entire sort of thesis of our site is we're operating under the assumption that front offices are rational and that they are all using a pretty similar model because that's kind of what we've observed and what, you know, some some anonymous or not so anonymous front office members have hinted at that they all use pretty similar models. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's pretty clear here. I mean, Arnado's name has been in the rumors for two years now, I think, year and a half, two years. Uh, but he, he finally gets moved now because, as it says in this article, it, they, they backed off of what was a pretty unreasonable asking price for him. Um, I think they weren't considering the salary as as big of a detriment as it was. And so once they kind of came to reality on that, that's where they found a fair deal and one that was fair within our model as well, one that they could actually agree to in real life. So uh, I, I think that's... I think my thing with this... And it's especially relevant right now, and this is kind of a, an issue I take with baseball fans at large, is right now, I believe, to, so I'm not, I don't know about you, John, I'm not super in tune with, with the NBA, mm-hmm. but I, I believe today was the trade deadline, um, or, or this week, this week was very yeah. active in trade activities regardless um, in the NBA, and you see all these weird deals of these players on significant contracts going both directions and NBA fans understand that you need to kind of offset contracts. And and I think that's, that's kind of uh, a bit more, the reason they understand better is because kind of the financial model in NBA, in the NBA is a little bit different mm-hmm. um, with kind of salary cap floor type things, uh, max contract, all that stuff that baseball doesn't have. But it's just so bizarre to me that they don't take any of this with them into baseball because there's plenty of people that are fans of both the NBA and MLB. And it seems like they understand that, like, yes, we need to balance the contract somehow. Otherwise, this contract has negative value to this team Mm -hmm. um, in this NBA trade. But they don't understand the same thing in baseball. And that's why they think that Nolan Arenado will get you Andrew Vaughn or or whoever top prospect you want to insert here uh, without eating any of his salary. And then they make such a big deal about, Oh, the Rockies paid the Cardinals to take him. Well, yes, they had to, if they wanted to get anything back at all. So I don't understand why baseball fans and I'm, 
I, I'm preaching to the choir here. If you're listening to this podcast, you understand that. So yes. I'm, <laughs> this is, like I said, <clears throat> preaching to the choir here. But at large, baseball fans don't seem to understand that, and I'm not, I'm not sure I get it. Yeah, they're just looking at field value. In some cases, they're not even looking at years of control. They're like Mets fans and not picking on them, but like, oh, we got Lindor. Man, that was a steal. It was a fair mm-hmm. trade. We can show on our site that it was a fair trade. When you think about, you know, Jimenez and the, what they gave up and the years of control and the money, you know, all of those are factors, to your point. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of fans just say, hey, we got Lindor. And that's all just like, is it because he's, you know, he's a star? And that's all they're looking at. <clears throat> so before I started this site, I went, I, I, I talked to a bunch of baseball fans and, you know, I remember um, having dinner with one of my friends locally and I explained the concept to him and he said, well, and at the time, this was before uh, Jacob deGrom had been resigned by the Mets. So his, his, his uh, name was coming up in trade rumors. And I thought, well, okay, as a Mets fan, what would you expect to get for deGrom? He's like, I would expect Aaron Judge. You know, he wasn't even thinking about the, the money or the gears of control at the time. He's like a star for a star. That's how I think. That's how fans mm-hmm. think. <laughs> so I, there's just, yeah, I, I, you know, so I, you know, they're not as, I guess they're not as geeky as us or, you know, as into <laughs> with all the, all the business aspects, but that's, we're looking at reality here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, that's the goal here, right? That, you know, through, through doing this in a public <laughs> manner and continuing to discuss and explain it, that maybe we continue to reach a wider audience and, educate them and and bring them dare i say bring them to the level of nba fans <laughs> um but but we can we yeah, can exactly. head back to uh to the free agent discussions here with the rockies um because there's there's just so many great little nuggets in this article about it about you know there, there's a, a front office staffer that wrote a memo saying hey middle relievers in free agency they don't give you any value here these are these are some of the worst investments you can make and then the team turns around and commits like $50 million to Brian Shaw and Jake McGee. And we all know how that turned out. <laughs> and then they signed an elite reliever, Wade Davis, and we saw how that turned out. So yeah. there's just so much in here. And I mean, I, I don't know if there's too much we can take away from, from the one hand of exactly how their front office operates, because it seems like it's just a mess. It, it seems like they've, I'm pretty sure they've slashed their analytics department. I think they have three. Yeah. They uh, had six analysts and, or something. Yeah, they used to have six, and four of them walked of their own accord, is, is mm-hmm. what I heard, mm-hmm. uh, because they were basically fed up. Because um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they weren't using their numbers or like they didn't see, they didn't think they retreat right. Anyway, so they're down to two. So that's another mm-hmm. thing that is not a great indicator of how they're operating. And, and <laughs> this is a division where you can't afford that. You've got Theo yeah. Epstein, or excuse me, not Theo Epstein. Sorry, <laughs> you got Andrew Friedman. They're the same person. You got Andrew Friedman in. Los Angeles, who is probably the best in the business at at all of at analytics, at, at identifying talent, at all of this. You've got AJ Preller, who's one of the best in the business at identifying young talent specifically and building up a farm and then trading from it to bolster bolster the pieces that click on his major league team. And then you got Farhan Zaidi, who a fantastic mind as well. He's been with the A's, been with the Dodgers. He's learned from some of the best in the business. He hasn't fully gotten his opportunity to show how good he is because he joined a pretty bad Giants team. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see very soon how talented mm-hmm. uh, he is. And then the D-backs are probably a bit more middle of the pack. But when you look at their farm, it's incredible. They had one of the yeah. best drafts of all time. I believe it was in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something ridiculous, like seven or eight picks in the first 70. Um and so when you look at that level of competition in the division, you cannot afford to be the one team that doesn't really have an analytics department that doesn't listen to 
reason that doesn't <laughs> that just refuses to adapt and hopefully i don't have much faith in this but hopefully the arenado trade is a sign of different things to come of of advancement for the rockies of of a change in their regime of some sort but this the cynic in me says that's not going to happen until Breidich and Monfort are gone and so and that's that's disappointing I mean the Rockies have always been a fun team they always have fun players they have a beautiful ballpark and they deserve to win <laughs> for their fan base <clears throat> yeah yeah no I agree and you know one one thing that doesn't get mentioned a lot is they draw really well they're mm-hmm. always in the top seven or eight or so and and I think it was made in this article that that's made them made them complacent a little bit like oh mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what team we put out there um and and you know montford who was ridiculously predicting 94 wins in 2020 <laughs> um maybe this isn't seeing reality because they had been a competitive team before they had been in the playoffs and they do draw and so he's thinking yeah well, sure we'll just keep it going and without even looking at you know what's actually underneath that so um so i think that you know that's just a theory but it may be coloring their judgment a little bit mm-hmm. Uh, last few things I want to hit on here. Um, there's a lot in here about DJ LeMayhew. Mm-hmm. I don't think I agree with it necessarily. I think there's a lot of hindsight going on there. DJ yeah. LeMayhew was a valuable player for the Rockies, but he was nothing like he is now. He was he was a lot closer to Colton Wong than he was to this MVP talent. I, weren't they? Uh, he's the player, right, that they had the extreme opposite field outfield shift against, where they mm-hmm. just literally didn't have anyone in left field. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore just... because now he's an all-fields power threat. But that's the kind of guy he was in Colorado. He was a slick glove at second base. He, I think he won a batting title or two. Yeah. Uh, but that was largely Coors. And he didn't have a whole lot of power even in Coors. And so he's a pretty one, two-dimensional player. I, I don't think you – and I think there's an argument to be made that, yeah – there's some bits in here about how great of a clubhouse guy he was and how much everyone else on the team wanted him brought back. But you'll hear that about anyone that's with a team for long enough. Yeah. So, so, and, and there's a legitimate gripe to be had with replacing him with, with Daniel Murphy, uh, who can't play second base and never, never really has been able to, yeah. but, but I think, I think saying clowning on them for letting LeMahieu walk is really hindsight, especially because LeMahieu isn't the LeMahieu we think he is if he's playing anywhere other than Yankee Stadium, I don't think. Uh, not to say that it's entirely Yankee Stadium fueled, but I think we have a little bit of a different image of him elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Do you have I, anything I you want to add there? <clears throat> no, I totally agree. I, I think that's mm-hmm. a little unfair. Uh, and then the, the other thing... Um, was the, the other two things uh one is the whole no trade clause debacle for arenado which is i'll never understand it <laughs> um yes. where arenado didn't have he didn't his camp initially wasn't asking for a no trade clause in the extension and then i'm trying to find it here was it brightich or monfort i'm guessing it was, it was brightich oh brightich okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. it was brightich um, who insisted on adding a no trade clause for arenado and it's yeah. we we know for a fact and everyone who looks at this kind of stuff knows for a fact that the no trade clause only benefits the player mm-hmm. it, it effectively erases leverage and that's what we saw here if and maybe it wasn't as relevant now that we it looks pretty unlikely that he will opt out but a year ago it was a big question mark it was mm-hmm. okay we're kind of on the border here we don't know the teams can't really trade for him because they don't know if they're getting eight years of him or if they're getting two years of him so <clears throat> right. That really, 
hurt their negotiations last year. I, I don't know how big of a role it played this year. I don't think but... it did. It, yeah, and 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 you know, the point is also, you know, they were more afraid that he would um, not opt out uh, because mm-hmm. then they'd get stuck with the, you know, albatross contract. We you know we've talked to them multiple times in the past about that contract is underwater. Um, you know, that was the real problem. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't fault them for that. I mean, people think, Oh my God, they put, they, they paid $51 million to give him away. No, that's, that's just to even it out. So, so, um, they were right to think about it that way, at least that they were more afraid because they could see the risk down the line that it was going to go further and further underwater. So Mm -hmm. they were more afraid of that. And they knew he wasn't going to opt out of that because they knew at age 31, he wasn't going to get the same contract. So that was the real risk. But at that point, don't sign him, right? Like, Yeah, I know. We talked about that as well, right? Why not just let him walk? Yeah, they they legitimately, and I think a lot of casual, even even some non-casual baseball fans, I think the vast majority of baseball fans don't understand this, that if he wasn't, if he was never extended, I believe this would have been his uh, his walk year still, right? Or was, exactly. it, was it last year? Uh, whichever year it was, it, yeah. they they would have gotten more in return for him if he was just on this last year of arbitration type thing. Basically like uh, what Trevor Story is now. Yeah. It, Trevor Story, <clears throat> if they trade, if slash when, maybe? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <trade right>. him, <laughs> um, he'll bring back a significantly larger return and they won't have to eat $50 million. Exactly. That That's, that's a fact. Uh, that's not even us going out on a limb. We can say that with 100% confidence. So if you're not going to actually commit to him long-term and it's clear that they weren't, which gets into that. The second point I wanted to make of there's mentions in here of, they literally told him, yeah, we're not going to build around you. And then the only major league free agent they signed was uh, Jose Mujica, I think, uh, who isn't really a major leaguer. Even it was just one of those, like uh, one of the minor (laughs) league free agent types that you signed to a major league deal and then option down for whatever reason. Um, and then there was the trade deadline. I think it was was that 2018 when they were chasing the Dodgers, um, and they were it was neck and neck. And you knew the the Rockies weren't as good as the Dodgers that year. Um, it was just kind of a fluky overperformance by them, underperformance by Los Angeles kind of thing. But you still want your team to to go for it then. And there's there's plenty of cheap avenues at the trade deadline if you don't want to give up prospect talent, if you don't want to give up pay a whole lot of money. There's plenty of these guys that you can add to your team, especially if you're a team like the Rockies, where you've never had five strong starting pitchers at the same time. You can add literally just a league average starter for some middling prospect and and without a whole lot of money left on his contract, some sort of rental type. You can add that player for pretty cheap and make your team at least a little bit better down the stretch, at least give them a little bit better of a chance to make the playoffs. And the Rockies chose not to do that. And so it just all goes back to a lack of a short or long-term plan, really. It's like, how do you commit this much money to Nolan Arenado and tell him you're going to build a winner around him and then not realize that the money that you're spending on him is prohibiting you from building a winner, at least when you do spend the remaining money on Ian Desmond and Wade Davis and Daniel Murphy. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Okay. 
<laughs> it's a bit of a disappointing talk. I, like I said yeah. earlier, I wish the Rockies fan base all the best. Good luck, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At least you have a good stadium, and you know it's a fun place to see a game. And you know, mm-hmm. hopefully, enjoy get... enjoy Trevor Story. Enjoy Herman <laughs> Marquez. Um, and and I'm Dan- sorry, Brendan. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say Daniel Bard is fun. Enjoy him. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to sneak in another point here, and as a transition, mm-hmm. so I'm sorry, Brendan Rodgers hasn't worked out. Um, so, and and I'm going to sneak in one sort of general point here. Um, you know, we've talked about um, what we learned in the past from trades, like the Luis Urias trade, um, where sort of former top prospects start to have their stock drop, and we're keeping a close eye on that. Of late, there we've particularly noticed some who have been optioned down, um, or for whatever reason, have not made their team, have not started. So um, now Brendan Rodgers of the Rockies is one of these, but he's injured. He's got a hamstring issue right now. But others, like Carter Keeboom of the Nationals, they expected a lot from him, and he hasn't really stepped up. And, you know, they just tried to start on Castro at third base. And the front is, in other words, we're watching the front office signals and adjusting accordingly. Like if they don't think he's making the team, um, then we're docking them in their trade value. Uh, Isaac Paredes is another one of the Tigers who, I mean, it's the Tigers. So, you know, what do they got to lose? And yet they optioned him down. So that's a clear sign that their stock is dropping. So I just wanted to point that out. There are some of these guys who are are being adjusted down because of front office decisions. Yeah. All right. I I wish we had a more positive note to end on, but that's <laughs> yeah. just, that's, that's the Rockies for you. Yeah. Uh, regardless, this was a fun one. It was good to come back and talk a little bit. We are shifting to every other week just because in these first couple months of the season, there's not as much to talk about. There's no uh, no real trade action. We'll be returning as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. We'll be returning to weekly segments. We'll have some special episodes planned for you guys. It should be a really fun time once we get there. Uh, but for now, we're going to be focusing on on every other week content for the podcast we're going to be focusing on some different types of content for the website as well as you know making sure our model is in check making sure we're all prepared for what should be a pretty fun trade season coming up yep that's good all right so on that note i'd like to thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in two weeks to break down likely some some late spring transactions as well as kind of the opening week of baseball. So until then, stay safe. Enjoy these next couple weeks. Opening week, opening day, excuse me, only a week away. I can't wait. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.